As we're diving in, though, this morning, as we're looking at God's Word, we've been looking over the last few weeks at the idea of what is at the core of what God has called us to be and to do as a church. Uh, We've been looking at the book of Acts and looking at how God had sent out His people, and then starting next week, we're going to be joining with several other churches throughout the region and going through the Gospel of John. It's going to take us basically from about here to May with a break around Christmas. We'll take a few weeks off at Christmas, um, but we're going to be joining and partnering together with some other churches. We talked about that a few weeks ago. I'll give you a bit more information about that next Sunday as well. But as we're diving in this morning, we took these two weeks to look at what is at the core of who we are as a church and what we believe God's calling us to do. So like I said, we've made it 20 years as a church, which is a thing to celebrate for sure. But if the church is going to continue to carry on the work of God for 2,200, 2,000 years, however long until Jesus comes back, what needs to be core and central to who we are? Well, last week we looked at the idea of some core commandments that Jesus has given us. Around here, you may have noticed it when you walked in on the wall, we say that our goal is love, based off of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Okay, yeah, 5. All right, 1 Timothy 1, 5, that says, The goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Last week, we looked at the reality that when the Bible talks about love, it's not a mushy-gushy kind of Twitter-pated romantic love, and it's not a love that's not willing to confront when things are wrong. Instead, it's modeling that sacrificial love that Jesus modeled for us back to Him and loving God with everything we are and loving people with the way that we love ourselves, right? Now, I want to be honest with you this morning. I think we've done a disservice as we, as we cover that. Because I think there's something missing when we go through the idea that we need to love God and love others. Now, if if I asked you this morning, I know that there's probably some of you who are here or maybe watching us online and you don't yet have a relationship with Christ. If that's the case, man, we are so glad you're here and I'm hoping that you'll hear about how awesome he is through this. But as we go through this morning, I know that probably a, a lot of us in here have a relationship with Jesus already. So let me ask you this question as we're diving in. What was Jesus' plan for your life after he saved you? What was it that God was calling you to do? Now, some of you might answer that in different ways. You know, if you grew up in a tradition that was more on the catechisms and the creeds and things like that, you might say, well, you know, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So that's why he saved me. That's so that I would glorify him and enjoy him forever. And that's true. We we can come up with a few different answers to this question, but But this morning, I want to challenge you with something that may be old hat to those who've grown up in church, but is something that we actually need to look a little bit more closely at. I want to challenge you with a core commission that Jesus gave to his church that forms the foundation of everything that we do. So go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Now, these may be familiar verses to you, but here's what I realized as I was looking back through my notes. Like I mentioned, I've been here as the pastor for a little over 10 years And I actually was preaching off and on here for about a year before that. So I looked back through my notes. And although we've referenced the Great Commission and we talked about Acts 1-8 when we were going through Acts, I don't think there's ever been a time in 10 years where we've actually done a standalone message just on this passage. On Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. So as we go through this this morning, I want you to see this one truth crystal clear out of everything. We're going to try to explain a lot of the rationale behind it and what we're talking about it. But if you catch nothing else, here's the main idea I want you to catch. Jesus saved you and commissioned you to make disciples. Okay? Jesus commissioned you to make 
disciples. Now, we're going to explain what that looks like as we go through our passage this morning. And here's what I want you to to, to see, though. Today, if you're a follower of Christ, I'm talking to you, okay? Now, I'm talking to all of us, but you guys familiar with something that they call the bystander effect, okay? Now, here's what happens. Like, Doug got up earlier and said, hey, we need some folks to bring in some juice boxes for children's church, right? What happens? You sit there and say, surely somebody will bring in juice boxes for children's church. I don't need to worry about that because somebody else is going to bring in juice boxes for children's church because they asked everybody to. So somebody's got time and bandwidth to run by the store and pick up juice boxes that are not Capri Suns, right? Well, here's the thing. That's called the bystander effect. Somebody's fallen down on the the pavement. Everybody assumes that somebody else is going to help them because they're probably more qualified than I am. When when we talk about the Great Commission, that's, I'm afraid, the assumption we make. Yes, it is a commission for all of us, but being a commission for all of us means it's a commission for you, okay? Now, we'll try to explain that as we go through this morning and make that case as we get in a little bit deeper. Now, as we're doing this, I want you to hear these words again with fresh ears for those who may be super familiar with it. Um, If you're not familiar with what's going on, this is Jesus as he's now died on the cross, been raised from the dead, and he's getting ready to ascend to go back to heaven to be with God the Father. As he's getting ready to go back to God the Father, he's giving his last commands to his disciples before he goes back up into heaven, okay? As he does, these are some of the words that he gives us. John chapter, excuse me, Matthew 28 See, I'm already ahead into John. That's next week. We're not there yet. All right. Matthew chapter 28, starting verse 18. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, we're going to go back and take a look at these things in three different ways this morning. Now, I'll tell you, the middle point is going to be the biggest. So if you're like, if one is that you like to kind of pace things as we go through, the middle part's going to be the longest. So just so you know. Before we get into the specifics of the commission, though, I want you to see one truth out of this. The first truth that we're going to draw out of this passage is this is a commission that is not a suggestion. Okay? This is not a suggestion. How many of you remember your rebellious teenage years. Some of you, it was a little closer than others. Some of you haven't hit that yet. And my daughter, you better not hit that yet, okay? (laughs) Some of you, though, remember that time when you've had somebody, maybe it wasn't during your rebellious teenage years, but you had somebody tell you to do something, and your first thought was, who on earth are you to tell me what to do, okay? I've seen some of your Facebook pages, and right now you feel that way about the governor. I get it, okay? Some of you sit there and say, who are you to tell me what to do? Have you ever thought that? And you you may not have said it out loud because you're too polite or you may not be polite enough to not say it, all right? You ever thought, who are you to tell me what to do? Now, as we're getting ready to look at the fact that Jesus gives us this clear command, let's address that issue. As we're talking about who it is that's giving us this commission, realize that this carries with it some tremendous weight. The person who's calling you to make disciples is not your pastor. It's not just some author or some speaker or someone like that, although I'm going to echo the call. The reality is this is a command, as we'll see further on, that's coming directly from Jesus himself. That ought to matter more than just a suggestion from somebody else. 
You know, sometimes when we think about what God's telling us to do, sometimes our Bible reading falls in the same category as the lifestyle blogs that we read that had that really good article about how to overcome anxiety. And I, I don't really, I mean, I, I remember reading it, and it, it had some really good points in it. I, I don't remember what any of them were, but they were really good. You guys had that experience, right? You're scrolling through Facebook or, you know, Instagram or Snapchat or whatever your thing is. You watch some, you know, TikTok psychologist who tells you that, you know, this is how you need to overcome anxiety or depression or whatever. You're like, oh, that's really good. And then like two seconds later, you completely forget about it and you have no idea what you just saw or read. Or, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. We can't do this with God's word. We can't do that with this command. Okay, The command to make disciples is incredibly important because of who it's coming from. Look again at verse 18. Some of you guys memorized this when you were like this tall, and so you're so familiar with this that you're losing the weight of what it says. Jesus came near and said to them, talking to his disciples, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Pause right there. All authority in heaven and on earth. And on earth, Jesus is saying the buck stops here, right? There is no one who has more authority than Jesus. So if he's getting ready to give us a command, we need to listen. Maybe this is kind of a hard thing for you to understand. Well, you know, uh, he's, a, he's a pretty big deal in case you haven't noticed, right? In fact, just a few, few pages before this, Matthew tells us about how Jesus responded when he was arrested. Just to give you a picture of how big a deal Jesus is. You remember when Jesus was arrested, his disciple Judas came and he led this group of Roman soldiers out to arrest Jesus there as he was praying in the garden. If you remember what happened, Peter got a little ahead of himself and, and so he pulls out a sword and he goes to chop off, well, he wasn't aiming for the guy's ear, he missed, he was trying to cut the high priest's servant head in half and he missed and clipped off his ear. Now if you, if you remember the story, Jesus immediately rebukes Peter. This is what he says in Jesus told him, put your sword back in its place because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Now, next verse. Or do you think that I cannot call on my Father and he'll provide me here now with more than 12 legions of angels? Now, if you're like me, you're not real good with your ancient military units. Um, A legion, according to the New English translation, uh, their translators noted that a legion was a Roman army unit of about 6,000 soldiers. So that means Jesus said in an instant, I could have an angel army of 72,000 soldiers to be able to defend me. Okay? I don't have that kind of clout. Right? If I tried to get together an army to go fight something somewhere, it wouldn't go real well. Jesus in an instant says, I could tell my father to send the angels and he would send 72,000. By the way, I don't think that's all of them. I think that's just Jesus saying, I could get at least 12 legions if I had to. I think there's more than that, by the way. But yet Jesus is in charge of all of them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, so we better listen when he talks. We'll see this more clearly as we get into John. In fact, if you want to write down, I'd encourage you, go ahead and read uh, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18 this week. To get a picture, because in that prologue to the Gospel of John, John does this incredible job of explaining who Jesus is. And if you struggle with whether or not Jesus really has the authority to tell you what to do in your life, although there's some confusing stuff in there that we'll talk about next week, sit down and read through that and see how John describes Jesus. He is this absolutely incredible thing. Now, maybe this is where you need to park for a minute before we even really get into the Great Commission. 
maybe you need to sit there and, and, and let, let me ask you, how do you respond to the commands that God gives you? Like, do you, do you allow that to be a weighty thing? Or like I said, is it just something that, that's right up there with the blog you just read? Or the TED Talk you just watched? This is the God of the universe. The one who has all authority in heaven on earth. Let me give you another reference just for fun here. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 talk about, there in Philippians 2, it talks about Jesus' humiliation and how he comes to the earth and dies and then is raised. And it says there, after talking about Jesus' work, Paul says this, For this reason God highly exalted him, that's Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name. In other words, there is no name in all of history or creation that is more important than the name of Jesus. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and then it goes on to talk about it. But listen, guys. Jesus, the one who's calling you, who's giving you this commission, is the one to whom every knee in all of creation will bow. Let that sink in for a second. So when he tells us to do something, this is not merely a suggestion. This is not just a, hey, your life would be better if you would do this. This is a command where he is commissioning you to go out and make disciples. And that's a really, really, really big deal. We bow before someone who has authority, right? So every knee will bow. He has all authority that there is to have. So the commission that's at the core of what Jesus is calling us to do as a church is not a suggestion. It's a command from the king over all creation. Okay? So now, what's Jesus calling us to do? See, the commission is not only not a suggestion, it's also pretty clear. It's pretty clear. See, he goes on here. There's some interesting things that happen in the Greek, so we're going to talk about it a little bit later to get into it. But the crystal clear, indisputable fact is that Jesus is calling all of his followers to make disciples. He's calling all of his followers to make disciples. So the second thing we're seeing here is that this commission is clear. In fact, as he's going through, it's, that word disciple is kind of an unusual word that we don't use outside of church very often. So let's kind of talk about it. Uh, here's how one Bible commentator explains what a disciple is. Okay? This is, uh, see, this is Warren Wearsby says this. A disciple, then, is one who has believed on Jesus Christ and expressed this faith by being baptized. He remains in the fellowship of the believers as that he might be taught the truths of the faith. Faith. He is then able to go out and win others and teach them. This was the pattern of the New Testament church. Earlier, the same commentator used the idea of an apprentice. So when we talk about making disciples, what we're talking about doing is not just going out and sharing our faith, although that's part of it. Not just baptizing people, although that's part of it. Not just teaching them things in discipleship training classes, although that can be a part of it. No, he's telling us to go out and grow to the point where you and I are not only leading people to Christ and getting them baptized, but continuing to walk with them to where they become apprentices of Christ, who can then turn around and help others to become apprentices of Christ, who can then turn around and help others to become apprentices of Christ, who can help others to become apprentices of Christ. So a disciple then is someone who's an apprentice of Christ. He's been baptized, he's following Christ, and he's helping others to do the same. So what's Jesus calling us to do? He's calling us to make disciples. 
His command is that every single believer in the church would be growing in such a way that he's not only a disciple himself, but he's also making other disciples as well. She's not just taking care of her own spiritual growth, but she's helping another person to come and to know and grow in Christ as well. And before you get the objection, well, this doesn't apply to me, it does. And I'll get there in a minute and explain where we see this just out of this passage, not just counting the other places in Scripture. Okay? This does apply to you. Well, how do we make disciples? Well, he gives us a couple of clues into how we make disciples. Baptize and teach. Baptize and teach. Now, the Bible's clear that baptism is the first step that somebody needs to take after they commit to following Jesus. Around here, we have this baptistry. It's that beautifully blue-green tub up there. It's got heated water. It's, it's such a, a, a kind of quaint thing that, like, it doesn't seem like it's that big a deal, right? You just kind of get wet one day and, and not. The biblical picture of baptism is so much more significant than this. See, the biblical picture of baptism is this one that is the symbol that Jesus gave to the church of the fact that I'm breaking with my old way of life where I was living life on my own and turning to follow Jesus. Let me give you an odd example. Track with me, okay? My wife did not grow up in a college town. She grew up in Memphis, and University of Memphis football was not really something to celebrate when she was growing up, okay? I grew up here in Christiansburg. And I, to tell you, give you an idea, the first football game that I remember to, going to, Jim Druckenmiller was the quarterback, okay? So that gives you some idea for those of you who are Virginia Tech fans. When we moved back, my wife could not figure out what the hype was all about when it came to Virginia Tech football. She could not understand why all the cars were decked out in flags and face paint and why Walmart had this massive section of T-shirts and sweatshirts and why these people would stand outside the stadium for like 16 hours before the game. And she didn't get what it was all about, right? Then a few years ago, some friends invited us to go to a game with them. We saw it Friday night, didn't we? Some of you guys were there. You're sitting there, and the stadium's kind of a buzz, isn't it? All of a sudden, you start hearing, let's go, Hokies, let's go, Hokies. And it starts to build, and there's this swell. Then all of a sudden, the music starts. Inner Sandman begins to play one of the greatest entrances in all of college football. And like we saw Friday night, 66,000 people jumping up and down in this frenzy as the team takes the field and everybody goes nuts. And having gone through the baptism of immersion into Virginia Tech football, all of a sudden my wife got it, right? Now, we don't follow it super closely, and I couldn't tell you who's the quarterback this year. I'm sorry. I'm just not that guy. But in that moment, all of a sudden, all of that hype made sense because she had been there and become a part of what was going on. You tracking with me? Now, I'm not saying that we're going to play inner Sandman at the next baptismal service. We do, okay? (laughs) However, at the same time, Guys, if we'll go through this ritual every Friday night or Saturday that we have a home game, if we go through this ritual in Lane Stadium where 66,000 people will jump up and down, so much so that there's been multiple times in recorded history where it's registered on the Richter scale because people have been jumping up and down so much, right? If we'll go through that level of hype for a football game, listen, guys, here's what baptism pictures, okay? Baptism is the picture that you and I were dead in our sins, We had no hope in our own life. 
And so Jesus loved us so much that he died to our, for our sins and was raised to new life. So when I go up and, and when I have the privilege of baptizing someone, I have the privilege of walking through the symbol of that person dying to their old way of life and being raised to walk in a new life. They've literally, not through the baptism, but because of what Christ has already done, they've literally become a new person. So baptism is this not just this thing we do, it's kind of this ritual thing we go through. No, it's this step that we take that says, I am breaking with my old life, and I am identifying with Christ. Just like he died, I've died. Just like he was raised, I'm raised. And I want to show that to the world around me. That's a big deal. That's where making disciples begins. It begins by us identifying with, pledging our allegiance to, and not just wearing the merch, but actually becoming a part of who Jesus is, right? Making a part of who we are. The first part of the commission in making disciples is that we will baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all of who God is. So, by the way, if you've never taken that step of obedience... I would love nothing more than to be able to celebrate that with you. So if you're here this morning, you've never been scripturally baptized by immersion. By the way, that's what means we put you under the water and we pick you back up. After you've been saved, the reason we do that is because it's a a public declaration. It shows, like my wedding ring shows everybody that I'm married. Baptism shows everybody that I've, I've chosen to follow Christ. If you've never done that, then you're walking in disobedience, and that's the first command that you need to get right with God, just being honest, okay? If you need to talk with me about it, I can promise you I would love nothing more than next Sunday to fill this thing up, heat it up. If we want to schedule a river baptism service, whatever, I don't care. I just want you to be able to walk in obedience in this way. But now here's the problem. A lot of times in churches, what we've done is we've said, you know, we want to focus on making sure we get people baptized, and that's good. But as Robbie Gallaty, the pastor at Long Hollow Baptist Church and the president of Replicate Ministries says, baptism isn't the, the starting line, it's the finish line. Excuse me, isn't the finish line, it's the starting line. He goes on to say, and go ahead and put, you can go ahead and put the quote up. I know, I jumped it. It's, you're good. This is the other quote from Robbie. Discipleship is not complete until the player becomes the coach. See, so many churches, we focus on how many people we baptize, but then we baptize you and just let you figure it out on your own. But see, if we're truly making disciples, what we're doing is we're going to walk with you and help you to grow to the point that you can come back here to somebody who doesn't know who Jesus is, and you can not only share the gospel with them, not only see them come to be baptized, but then see them to get to the point where they can go back and they can help somebody else. See, it's not complete until the the player becomes the coach. This is where I feel like we failed on our goal is love. Loving God and others in our family, our church, our community, and our world. We need to add one more phrase to it. And teaching others to do the same. See, so often in Christian circles, we measure our our obedience by, am I doing the right thing? And you should. Like, that's important. Am I spending time in God's Word? Yes, you should. But part of that question that you need to go through about where you are with Christ is, am I actively discipling somebody else? Now, for some of you, that will happen in a more formal way, like it does with our Sunday school teachers and our small group leaders. 
Some of you, it happens in a more informal way as you see that somebody's discouraged and so you take them out for coffee or sit down over lunch or you know that there's somebody who's struggling and you come alongside them, you bring them a meal, you do those kinds of things and together you're not just doing those good things but you're using those as opportunities to help them to grow in Christ-likeness, to encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching as the writer of Hebrews says. You're called to make disciples. See, we're baptizing them. But we're going on then, it says, not just to baptize them, but to teach them. That's what all this is about. Teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. That's why we can't just stop with baptism, because the the job that I have as a disciple maker and the job that you have as a disciple maker is to help teach others to be able to follow Jesus. See, now I know that there's probably somebody out here who's thinking this, so let's just go ahead and say it. Yeah, Sean... That's what we pay you for, right? You're the pastor. You're supposed to be discipling people so we can all grow up and love Jesus and others, and you're right. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 says that as, of a, as one who has the calling of a pastor, I have a unique role in discipling the church. However, it's not just me. It's not just your teachers. It's not just what, uh, whoever you think of that's not you, Right? How do we know that? Well, let's do a little bit of, of grammar work here. All right? Notice something that Jesus said here. The disciples were to teach others to observe how many things that Jesus taught them. Look back at verse 20 if you need help. How many things were they supposed to be observing? All, everything, right? Teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. Now, go back to verse 19. What do you see there? What is that that phrase, make disciples? We've already said that's not a suggestion, that's a command. In fact, in the Greek, it's a very clear imperative, in case you care. Right? That's a command to make disciples. How many commands are we supposed to teach everybody? All of them. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you, including the command to make disciples. Disciples. So as these original 12 apostles and disciples were making disciples, the disciples they were making were being commanded not only to be able to walk rightly with God, to watch their words, to allow God to transform the way they think, all of those commands that we often think of in following Christ, they also were being commanded to make disciples. This command is for us all. It happens in our home. Happens with our children, happens with between spouses. It needs to become intentional in the way that we relate to each other. In fact, one of the, the things I was talking with our deacons with about last month at our deacons meeting was trying to answer the question if a person walks through those doors here at Christiansburg Baptist Church and says, I've heard of this guy Jesus, I don't know anything about him, what do I need to do? How do we help that person to get to the point where they can then disciple someone else? How do we take them from barely knowing who Jesus is to to surrendering to Christ, to growing in Him, to being able to help others to do the same? 
One of the things that we're looking at as a church is what's it going to take for us to be able to develop some kind of process? We know it's not always linear. We know it's not always clean. We know it's not always perfect. But, but how can we be intentionally helping people to grow as disciples of Christ? Why? Because it's not a suggestion. It's the command that Jesus has given us. So what's it look like here? And you know what? To be honest, as deacons and a pastor, we didn't have a great answer for how we would do that. So over the next few months, we're looking at different materials from different organizations. We're praying about different things that God would allow us to be able to do so that we know that if somebody shows up today who has no idea who Jesus is, that by the grace of God, as they grow, we could have an intentional way for them to get to the point where they're a disciple-making disciple, where they go from not even a player to learning how to play the game to being able to be a coach. And we're not done until we reach that stage. Which, by the way, there's always room for growth, okay? So when we say a comp, you know, discipleship is not done until the person becomes a coach, it's not like if you're discipling somebody else that you've arrived and there's nowhere for you to grow in your spiritual life. It's not what he's saying. But so often we stop with our obedience and forget that the commission is clear for us to make disciples. Jesus' command is for you. Yes, it's for me. Absolutely, it's for me. And it's for all of us. But it's for you as well. So who are you discipling? Now, if you notice, we skipped a few things in the command, didn't we? We skipped over the word go, and we skipped over the all the nations part, right? There's a reason for that. Uh, There's some debate about what that word go means. In fact, in the Greek, uh, for those of you who care about things like this, uh, that's actually a participle in the Greek. It's not an imperative, which means nothing to most of us. Um, I had the privilege of studying Greek in seminary. I loved it. It was awesome, and so it makes me geek out on stuff like that. Usually a participle, it means it's conditional and it's tied to a main verb. So the main verb that it's tied to is that verb, make the disciples, which is a very clear, direct command. Okay? In the Greek, no question that it is the command to make disciples. But because this first part's a participle, that means it could mean a couple of different things. One thing it could mean is, as you go. It's the idea of going. It's the idea of ongoing action. So here's what it could be saying. Jesus could be saying, as you go, make disciples. What's that mean? That means as you go to the grocery store, pick the same checkout clerk so you have an opportunity to be able to develop a relationship with him or her so that you can hopefully help them to come to know who Christ is, and then you can invite them into your life so that they can grow and they can know him more closely. They can grow to the point where they can disciple others. It means as you're going through your dorm, as you're going through your classes, as you're going through wherever you find your life, around your house, as you go, you need to be making disciples of those around you. We saw that in the book of Acts, didn't we? We saw that as the apostles would go to the temple there in the early days, they would go, and that was their normal pattern. And when they went, they would encounter people, they would do miracles, they would be able to share the gospel, they'd be able to point people to Christ and see people come to know him and grow and be baptized and grow up to follow Christ as they went. Well, now here's the other thing. The way that this is sometimes used, uh, and this is something that comes from D.A. Carson, who's a lot smarter than I am, Some authors point this out, that when biblical authors use this kind of construction, that first word is often treated like a command. So it's not in the same grammatical form as a command, but it often carries that same weight as a command. So if that's the case, then that's where the translators here came out with the idea of go and make disciples of all the nations. Now, 
as we look at that. Isn't that what we saw in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right? Where Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The plan from day one was that they would take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, that doesn't just happen in the regular as-we-go course of life. In fact, if you remember, we started seeing that the the gospel was beginning to spread out beyond Jerusalem when we quit in our study of Acts. We saw Gentiles being saved. In fact, if you keep going after where we stopped there in chapter 12, you'll start seeing Paul and Barnabas and Paul and, and others going out and taking the gospel to all kinds of different places, specifically going there to make disciples. So the command could be, Go and make disciples of all the nations. Which is it? Yes. It's both. It's as you go, wherever you are, be making disciples. And for some, there will be a unique call to go beyond. That's why uh, one commentator, Craig Blomberg, said this. To make disciples of all nations does require many people to leave their homelands But Jesus' main focus remains on the task of all believers to duplicate themselves wherever they may be, okay? Yes, some are called to go to the ends of the earth. That's why we take a portion of what God provides here and we send that out to the North American Mission Board. We send it to the International Mission Board to support the thousands of people who are doing work around the world and sharing the gospel in places that you and I can't go readily. That's why we've taken mission trips to Zimbabwe. We've sent folks to Thailand and other places. And Lord willing, as COVID abates and we can get back out into the field like we once did, I'm looking forward to seeing what God's going to do by sending folks out from this congregation to be able to take the gospel to the nations at the same time that we take it here. You see? As you go and when we go. Make sense? The command, the call, is both. I'm praying, by the way, that God would raise up a family from here, individuals from here, that will feel like he's, he's calling their life full-time onto the mission field to take the gospel where Jesus has not been named. That's one of my regular prayers for our church family, that God would raise up men and women from this congregation to take the gospel to the ends of the world. I had lunch or coffee this week with Ryan Day. He's one of our International Mission Board missionaries. Uh, Ryan and Kelly are back here on stateside assignment. They're serving the Lord in Japan. And it's incredibly hard. But the commission is clear. Jesus is calling us to, as we go here and when we go there to make disciples. Now, we keep looping back over this. Why? Because we're not doing it. We won't do it if you don't do it. Okay? This is not a suggestion. It's clear that Jesus is calling you to make disciples. Now, you may be sitting there saying, well, Sean, you know, if you knew my life, I'm not at a place where I could disciple somebody because... If somebody copied my life, it wouldn't be that great. If, if somebody copied the way that I follow Jesus, then that wouldn't be good for them. Then get right. If there's sin in your life that would keep you from being able to disciple somebody else, ask God to forgive you, repent, and stop doing that. Get to the point, grow to the point, through his strength, through his spirit, that you can start discipling other people. You don't have to be perfect. 
But if there's something that you know is sinful and you need to get squared away, do it so that you can be obedient to this command to make disciples. Now, the other thing you're sitting there saying is probably like Moses when God told him to go back to Egypt and Moses was like, yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> you know, Sean, you, you've had all this education and you've been to seminary and stuff like that. You've got all the books. you got, I, I can't do this. The third observation I want us to make out of this passage this morning as we look at the command that he's given us, it's not a suggestion. It's a clear call to make disciples. And the third reminder out of this is you're not alone. You're not alone. If, if, if it was me telling you to do this, and I just sent you out and said, go for it, then I could understand how you'd have hesitation. But listen, the one who back in verse 18 said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, says in verse 20, and remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus promises that he is present with his people until he comes back at the end of the age. By the way, that's one other way that we know that this is not just for the original apostles because he wouldn't need to promise to be there to the end of the age because they're all dead and he hadn't come back yet. See what I'm saying? So the promise goes with the command that's for us. He is with you today. You're right, you can't make disciples. I sure as anything can't. If you followed me, guys, listen, I'm really weird. Like, I am really weird. I don't want to make disciples of me. I want to make disciples of Jesus. I want you to love Jesus better than I do. I want you to serve him more faithfully, more ridiculously, more outlandishly than I do. I want you to know him fully. The only way that that's going to happen is by recognizing you're not alone. You're not doing this on your own. Sure, it'll feel like it. And when you start getting involved in the lives of other people, people are really messy and they're going to hurt you and they're going to disappoint you and they're going to walk away and it's going to break your heart and that's part of the territory. Have that expectation going into it. Sean, you're doing a great job of selling it. Yeah, I know, right? This is what Jesus is calling you to do. And he's right there with you the entire time. See, this is what Jesus did. One of the clearest examples of the way Jesus did this with his disciples was the night before he was betrayed. He knew he was going to go die for the sins of the world, and yet with his disciples, he knelt at their feet and washed their dirty, stinky, nasty, ugly feet. He was modeling for them. And that modeling went on further as Jesus then died on the cross, showing the depths to which we may be called to sacrifice. He was raised from the dead to show the joy of the new life that he brings. Now, in that, he was doing more than just showing us stuff. He was actually accomplishing the fact that he took my sin and your sin upon himself. He died in your place and was buried and was raised so that you could have new life. 
And by the way, again, as I said in the beginning, there may be folks who are here this morning who are watching us online, and you're not yet a disciple of Christ yourself. You're not following him. Listen, this is the God who we're calling you to serve. Not me, but, but Jesus, the one who died in your place and was raised so that you could have new life. He's the one who's commissioning you. By the way, you ever struggle with what your purpose in life is? You ever have those existential quandary kind of moments where it's just like, what am I even doing here? God's called you to make disciples. God has called you to make disciples, to join him in his work in redeeming creation. What greater purpose could we have? So what's at the core of who we are as a church? Well, there's some core commandments to love God and to love others in our family, our church, our community, and our world. And then there's a core commission to join him in his work of making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that he's commanded us, knowing that we're doing it in his strength because he's with us. Bow your heads with me for just a moment. Close your eyes. I want to give you just a moment to be able to to spend some time there with God where you are. I want to challenge you. What do you need to do in response to what you've heard today? Maybe you've kind of lost sight of the fact that the Bible's not just some self-help book or a book of suggestions on how to live a more fulfilled life. And you need to recognize again that this is the God of the universe, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth and every right to tell you what to do. So you need to say, God, I need you to forgive me for the fact that I've been dismissive and and not paid attention to the commands you've given me. Again, let me back up a step. You may be here this morning and you've never surrendered to Christ. Start there today. Say, God, I want you to be in charge. I want you to be in control. I need you. I need you to forgive me for the things I've done wrong. I I need you to give me new life so I can do what you've called me to do. So you need to surrender to that. But then again, if you're here and you've made that decision to follow Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then, then my challenge for you is, are you joining him in making disciples of all the nations? Who around you have you been actively pouring your life in to help them to grow in Christ's likeness? Husband, dad, are you taking the lead in your home? Are you the one who's setting the pace and helping your wife to be able to grow in Christ's likeness? To help your children to grow in Christ's likeness? Wife, mom, how are you encouraging your husband in his walk with the Lord? How are you modeling for your children how they're supposed to grow and honor him? Grandma, grandpa? How are you modeling for your grandchildren what faithful look, faithfulness looks like in this fourth quarter of life, as Dr. Falwell used to call it? If you're a student, you've got probably more freedom in your life right now than you will ever have again. How are you leveraging this season of influence with your roommates, with your classmates, with your coworkers? Who are you pointing to Christ and how are you helping them not just to get baptized but to truly learn everything that Jesus has commanded them so that they can then help somebody else? If you're overwhelmed, remember, you're not alone. 
Jesus is with you every step of this process. I want to give you just a minute there with your head bowed and your eyes closed. Just do business with God. And then after a minute, I'll be down front if you want to pray with me or talk with me about following Jesus or anything like that. If you want to make these steps an altar, you can come down here and you can just kneel and pray. I won't bother you. If you want me to pray with you, grab me and take, you over, take me over there with you. You just do business with God and then after a season, I'll close this.